You are listening to episode 289 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. A simple life has been calling to me more and more. Maybe it was a shift when I moved to the grounding energies of the mountains, or maybe it was my conversation with this week's guest. Living in only 150 square feet for years, Ryan Mitchell has learned a thing or two about living simply. From downsizing to life simplification and designing a life that's right for you, Ryan brings a lot of experience and practical knowledge to the table. He built his own tiny house in 2012, learning as he went along, which inspired him to help others in their journey to live small. Today, he still lives in this tiny house full-time and off-grid with solar, teaching others how to live simply. Ryan and I are talking everything from his journey to how you can simplify your life and also designing and building a better life and more. This week's episode is brought to you by Spiritually Seeking. When you visit spiritually-seeking.com and enter the promo code podcast at checkout, you can save 20% on items such as card readings, life guidance sessions, and numerology reports, and more. Simply enter the promo code podcast at checkout to save. Okay. Are you ready to meet Ryan? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey Ryan, welcome to the show. I'm pumped to have you join me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Ryan, I feel like you have so much to bring to the table today, and I know I have an abundant amount of questions, but before we dive into those, let's start here. What is the story behind the shift into a tiny home? What made yeah. you lean into the style of living? Mm-hmm. So uh, kind of my origin story with all of this is back in 2009, I was coming out of graduate school and landed what I thought was like my first, you know, career adult job. And uh, of course, everyone knows now, but we didn't know at the time that the Great Recession was, you know, kicking off Mm -hmm. in full steam there. And so I was basically right out of the gate and the company closed. And so here I was thinking I was starting a career and I had this major false start. Um, Of course, this is the story of so many other people people were losing their jobs, losing their homes, things like that. And it was just a very big wake up for me in my life. And and what I think it made me realize was that we were kind of sold this narrative, if you will, that you go to school, get grades, you get a degree, and then you use that degree to go get a job. Mm -hmm. And if you're smart and you work hard, you'll have job security. And pretty much right out the door, we realized that maybe that's not the the world we live in anymore. Yeah. So that's when I started started really like questioning a lot of things, asking some tough questions. And I remember looking at my budget and saying, okay, the about half my income is going towards housing between rent, utilities. Uh, you know, any like little maintenance things, insurance, all that kind of stuff added up. It was about 50% at that time. And I asked myself kind of a crazy question. I was like, if I could just remove this line item, figure out some way that it was basically down to zero, that would be huge in terms of my financial security, my peace of mind, 
the trajectory of my life, financial health, all those things. And I had no idea how I was going to do it. And eventually I stumbled along a a picture of this little house built on a trailer. And I didn't have any information about it, but it was enough of an idea to pick up and run with. And then uh, a couple of years later, I started actually building my own tiny house. Um, And so my living expenses of, you know, rent and all that kind of stuff went from $1,500 a month down to $15 a month. Whoa. And talk about a shift. Yeah. Right. Like I could go work, you know, and it depends on the job, you know, only like a few minutes in some cases (laughs) or an hour. Right. Um, And, and earn, earn that for the whole month. So it dramatically changed what my financial picture looked like. And that enabled me to do things like, you know, go out on my own, become self-employed, start, you know, kind of my entrepreneurial journey, travel the world, do all these things. And, uh, you know, it was a wild ride from that point on. Wow. I love that you first questioned the narrative that was fed to you almost as like your first step. I think Mm -hmm. that that step of like realization and kind of, I mean, I'm a product of that too. You go to college. Like, I think that was really just drilled into us. It was like college, 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 succeed. And now as a parent, I'm like telling my kids, I'm like, you don't really need college to succeed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you really don't, unless you're going to be a doctor or have this specialty um, that requires a degree, you you don't really need it. And there's so much that you can just learn. So I love that you started with questioning that narrative, but I'm really curious as to why you decided to build your own tiny house which I think is crazy impressive, but you could have gone other ways. You could have already built one that was, you know, like a already done for you, or even worked with a tiny home fabricator. What made you go this route instead? Yeah. So I, I think kind of to contextualize this, this was pretty early on in, in tiny houses. So there really weren't any builders. Mm. Um, there weren't even really any websites or information out there. Um, And that's kind of how I got started with mine was I was having to figure out all this stuff. And then I was like, well, obviously, I'm not the only one thinking about this. So maybe I should share what I figured out. And that's kind of what started the website, frankly, by accident, right? Like, I mean, I I put it up there, but I didn't think it was going to get as popular as it did. And people really resonated with it because they were interested and also doing at the same time. Uh, So there wasn't builders, there wasn't a lot of information. And then the other part of this is whenever, and this is with a traditional home or a tiny home, the about 50% of the cost is wrapped up in labor. And so another way to think about that is a house will cost half the price if you're able to do it yourself. Mm. Um, so a tiny house was on a scale that was somewhat approachable. I mean, it was a huge task. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, but it was at least somewhat approachable. And I, just to kind of give people background, I have no building experience prior to building my (laughs) tiny house. I was an HR guy. I worked white collar in an office. And then on weekends and nights, I was putting on a tool belt, picking up a hammer and going at it. So I had to learn all from scratch, but it meant that my house was basically half the cost, which made the ROI on the whole endeavor much quicker. 
How long did it take you to build it from start to finish? Um, on the calendar, it was about a year and a half. Um, three to four months of that was waiting on, there was like a backlog on like my windows. So I was like yeah. in a holding pattern for the window. So I think all told a year of weekends mainly is, yeah. is kind of what it took. When you look back to 2012 and the midst of building, is there anything that you would have done differently to either ease the process or maybe now that you've lived in it for a while, any reconfiguration of design that maybe would make your life, I don't know, I was better or like more enhanced in a way? Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I was building, all the tiny houses were very small. I mean, they're, they're small to begin with, but now like you're seeing larger tiny homes um, so my tiny house is about 20 feet long. Um, now it's very common to see like 30 feet long. Um, so I, I don't know that I would want a 30 foot tiny house, but I think maybe like a 24 foot might've been really nice. Um, and I think the big thing there is I would try to get my bed on the ground floor because right now my bed room is basically a little loft in the house that I go up into at night. And that works, uh, but it would also be really convenient just to be, you know, on the ground floor. You just kind of flop into it and not have yeah. to come down a ladder in the middle of the night. Yeah, I can I can imagine how that could just kind of get old, but you're like, okay, this is how it was built. I I like this like whole process though, but it feels like to me a lot in the beginning. How do you how did you kind of gauge? what goes into a tiny house and what doesn't? And then how do you stay on track with living mm -hmm. more uh, simplified life? Yeah. So I think, well, I mean, I'll, I'll give the, the average kind of like big goal advice is you, you look at the larger goal, you break it down to smaller pieces and you focus on what's in front of you. Mm. Um, and I think that's helpful to a point, but I, I think also you need to get really clear on why you're doing it and then also what you're willing to give up um, to achieve it. And I think those two things are important because I knew that if I was able to complete the house, then it would be a game changer, right? Because, I mean, you could either look at it like, I'm regaining half my income, or it's almost like on a quality of life, like you're doubling your income, mm. you know, two different ways to look at it. So there, there was that. And I just knew that that would facilitate so many things. And I had a pretty clear vision of what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be tied in an office I, I wanted to be able to earn a living wherever and do the work whenever, um, whether that was for myself or for someone else. And then I think what I was willing to give up was obviously like the weekends and things like that when I was building it. And then just having to get over all the consumerist uh, mentalities, um, kind of your attachment to possessions and in mass, like I obviously still have things and whatnot. Um, and then really trying to mentally separate your worth as a human being from your, from the common like status symbols. So typically 
you know, someone who's successful is seen to live in a big house with a nice car. They're married, 2.5 kids. They have a prestigious career Mm -hmm. that they're climbing the corporate ladder. And I think the, the great recession, you know, woke me up to like, Hey, this we're in a new paradigm. So I think that was a little bit easier. And I just kind of said like, okay, what is the traditional narrative or path going to cost me? You know, what's the price you're going to pay for those things? And I just decided I wasn't really willing to pay that price of, you know, go into a corporate cubicle for the next 30, 40 years, and then maybe retire at 65 or 70. Um, I just wasn't willing to do that. And so I knew I had to make sacrifices. So that's kind of what sustained me through the whole thing. I think that's really important to address the mindset of it all. Do you think that when you know, we're living these like big lavish lifestyles and and trying to to live up to societal norms, right? Mm -hmm. For maybe subconscious reasons. Do you think that we're actually living in more of a scarcity mindset because of that? Like I have to hoard 27 jackets because one day I might not have one. Or do, do you think there's a lot of scarcity in the way that society lives right now? I mean, I think a lot of it's manufactured. Um, scarcity mindset, right? Um, we live in a world where companies like to market, um, you know, basically manufactured kind of perceptions. And so we think that we need these things. Um, and if we're not intentional with our life, how we want to live it, the choices that we make within it, then uh, and, and define what we want out of it, then a corporation's happy to do that for us. Mm. And they're going to do it to their benefit. And I think it's important for us to be intentional with how we live uh, so that we can define it in a way that's beneficial or most beneficial to our, ourselves and the people that matter to us. Oh, I love that, that part of being intentional with our lives. What are the first steps of someone that they should take to design and build a better life with more intention. Mm -hmm. So it's a tricky thing because you, you first want to figure out like where, what is right for you and where you want to go. And that gets like, that's a tangled web because of all these messages from society of like what success is, um, what it means to be, a productive person, um, all the consumerist things in there. And it's not that things are bad or that having a nice home is bad. Uh, It's just that someone else has made that definition Mm -hmm. and it may not align with some of our values. And so it's, it's crazy how deep the claws are of those societal pressures, because even today, I catch myself like getting hung up on some of these things. Uh, About two, three years ago, I I did an experiment where other than like basically groceries and like consumables, like your toilet paper, things like that. um, I didn't buy anything for an entire year. And what I did was I, I kept a list of the things that I did want to buy, but I said, okay, I'm not buying things this year. And it was 
and, and to put this in context, I had been living in a tiny house and, you know, you could call me a minimalist for probably seven years at that point. Yeah. And I still was like catching myself wanting these things. And so I wrote them down at the end of the year, I looked at the list. It had 13 items on it. And out of those 13 items, which I think the average person would have a much longer list. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm like, my yeah. gosh, like that'd be like 13 <laughs> for me in a week sometimes. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like 13. Geez, Ryan. <laughs> okay. But continue and, 13. items. Yeah. So 13 items. And then what I realized was like out of those 13 items, there was only one at the end of the year that I still actually wanted. And so that meant 12 things were basically kind of fleeting, uh, Fleeting temptations, if you, I don't want to call it temptations, but that's not a great word, but you know, like in, almost like an a impulse desire. buy kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah. And I tried to examine what, what drove those things. And I mean, some of them were, fi- you know, like fine. And it, it's not like, again, none of these things are bad. Uh, but ultimately what I realized was like, they weren't going to do what I what I hoped they would do. You know, usually when you buy something, you're trying to solve a problem, fill a need, feel a certain way, ha- like be seen as someone as in a certain lifestyle or, or whatever the thing is. Um, and I realized that none of those things would actually achieve what I was hoping to. It was just a company basically, you know, selling on the emotional lever that people had um, to fulfill whatever the the problem was in their life. And so, you know, those 12 things, it was just a very sobering experience um, for me to to realize like, hey, there's these things um, that if I wasn't intentional, I would have kind of fell into those pits. And so it, it, it is a, it's a crazy how, um, just the marketing and consumers tendencies and just our society in general has this influence over us. So we need to be able to recognize that first. And I think that's important. And then from there, it's okay, really defining what we want out of life. Uh, Ultimately, right, it's not gonna happen overnight. I think it's important to then also say, like, these are the things I'm willing to give up. And then finally, like set a a roadmap for how you're going to achieve that. And you can, you know, course adjust the whole way through because you're going to realize like, Hey, maybe um, I wasn't thinking about this the right way. Maybe um, I I thought I wanted this, but it it was actually more this kind of angle that I wanted. Uh, You're going to get better resolution as you're, you're down that path and just have like consistent check-ins and iterate on your, your vision um, and just go after it. I'm curious if you wouldn't mind sharing, what was that, what was that item that you still desired? <laughs> People always ask that. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a pocket knife, which, um, I, I wanted it. And, uh, you know, about six months later, I still wanted that. So I got it, you know, it was, yeah. um, you know, it was, I don't know why it was like that one thing that I, I still wanted. So, yeah, um, I, I but there's also a, a need it. for it too, right? Like, sure. mm-hmm. yeah, like you can use this. It's not like something that you can use one time or two times and then it's just right. waste. Like this is a tool that's, and mm-hmm. you can also look at that as an investment too, no matter the cost. It's, mm-hmm. I'm curious when you began 
kind of like stepping into this lifestyle, what else kind of catapulted from it? Did you begin any homesteading or other ways that you became more minimal? What, what kind of catapulted from all of this? Um, I think probably the most visible change would, other than just living in a tiny house would be my wardrobe. Uh, so when I first started, I, I wasn't like, you know, a, a very fashion forward or centric person. Uh, but I, I did have basically two sets of wardrobes. One was like a professional dress for the office. And the other was just like your casual stuff. And when I made this shift to my tiny house, I basically left my corporate job and went to be self-employed. Um, I had been working on that project for a while, and then it, I finally made the leap. Um, so I basically got rid of my entire professional dress wardrobe, which meant my wardrobe was in half. And then um, my other wardrobe, I actually took down, and, and I, now I wear what I like to call a minimalist uniform. So I have a, a gray t-shirt that I have 20 of, um, I have the same undershirt. I have the same shorts and, and jeans. And it's, I, I don't ever choose clothes. I just grab whatever's on the top of the pile because they're all the same. Mm -hmm. So literally my shirts are identical. My shorts are identical and my pants are identical. And um, at first I was like, I don't know what people are going to think about this. And some people were like, oh, that's kind of odd. But then they got used to it and whatever. Um and it's funny, like, I, I don't think a lot of people even notice that I wear the exact same thing every day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure, I, I'm sure mm -hmm. some people, I, when you had that, okay, Ryan, this is, this is weird. That also goes back to living your life based off what other people think or what they think yeah. is quote unquote normal. So if you're mm -hmm. okay with it and you're okay with that decision, why else does it matter? Right. Yeah. And I mean, obviously I think with this, to you have to like kind of calibrate off of like who's the person right is it just some random stranger well I, I don't care about the you know really I don't really care about the opinions of some random stranger now if it's something that I'm doing that someone close to me is like I you know I have a problem with this or, or whatever like then I'm going to pay attention and right. consider it but yeah, I, I think um, there's some uncomfortability that comes with breaking some of those standard social norms. Mm -hmm. And one of them is living in a tiny house. So I had to get over that real quick. Uh, <laughs> the other one is like the clothing choice. Um, but I found it that it was, it, it brought more benefits than negatives. And now it's just so normal for me and everyone that knows me just like, well, Ryan's always wearing that gray shirt of his. So yeah. it's kind of normal. So those that would be one other shift um, yeah. with, with kind of my lifestyle there. Yeah. Well, clearly choosing this lifestyle also helped you obtain running a business and, and not having to live that nine to five life. How did mm -hmm. living in a tiny house really fit into your entrepreneurial journey and, and how has it aided it along the way? Yeah. So I, I think initially, um, just the reduction of my overhead, right, meant that my runway was extended a lot further. So that basically what that means is 
my costs dropped dramatically, which meant that the money in my bank could last me longer. Um, and it also meant that as an entrepreneur, I could start out with not making as much as I, I needed to, or I, compared to like if I had a house with a mortgage and a car payment and kids and all that kind of stuff, you know, I just didn't have to earn as much initially. And eventually I got there. And actually by the time that I left my corporate job, I was making more off my entrepreneurial ventures than I was at my day job. Mm. Um, but it just made that process a lot less stressful. It made the numbers look a lot more, you know, easier to, to, to swallow. Yeah. And it meant that I could take a few more risks uh, with my business. I could reinvest in the business. And then eventually that led me to be just more satisfied, which meant I was more happy with life. And then that kind of correlated with me earning more. And so it, I think it just had a really profound effect of my ability to be financially prudent going into an entrepreneurial type of situation. Mm. I have to, to ask, have you ever felt stuck in this? Like, oh, now that I'm, you know, part of the tiny house community and I'm, I'm teaching others how to do it. Have you ever felt like this is all, all it can be? Or have you felt like this is my passion? I feel good doing this. I don't really see an end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, with this, I really enjoy doing it and I've broadened what the website covers. So we used to just do tiny houses. Now we focus on tiny houses, minimalism and homesteading topics. Um, but I, you know, it's my website, so I can kind of make that decision there. Um, and so that really energizes me, but then it also, because my costs of living are slow and talking about taking risks a little bit, I was able to do other businesses as well. So there was a um, I started a conference, ran that for many years. I started a co-working space. Um, we built that up. It was really successful. I ended up selling it. Um, you know, so like it's given me a lot of opportunities to do things and it keeps my interest. And then if I get bored of it, I can pivot, change it because it's my own thing and I have the cash to do that. Yeah. I like how you consistently keep thinking outside of the box too, of like, okay, it doesn't just have to be one thing. It can, it can look however I want it to, because I'm in charge of my life. Yeah. I mean, if you, you don't want to be contrarian just to be contrarian, but if you're working in the box, like, I think it's important to know where the edges of that box is and what are the rules that govern it and then how you can maximize those rules um, you know, in this context, in a legally way, like, um, a good example would be taxes, right? Taxes have a clearly defined box, but as a business owner, there's ways that you can, you know, do your taxes and organize your business and things like that, that will maximize your profits, reduce your tax burden, things like that. So that's the, in the box thinking, and we need to be skillful and knowledgeable about how the box works. So when we're in that box, we can maximize it to our benefit. Um, but then I think 
it's doing ourselves a disservice, whether it's in business or in life, to be confined to that box uh, because that box is defined by other people to their benefit. And I'm not willing to just sit here and play in their sandbox if it means that I can find opportunity outside uh, to whatever my ends are. So yeah, I, I think it's it's really important to to think critically about what that that kind of box is, ask critical questions, the hard questions, be willing to take risks and uh, challenge the status quo a little bit. Oh, I love it. Challenge the status quo and take risk. That's that's like what we're here for. And I think that's like what we're always being challenged to do and to step outside of that box, like you said, and think critically and also think creatively as well, because not a lot of creativity happens in the box. <laughs> we got to color outside of those lines sometimes to, to really feel, I think, a, a fully alive and expressive and empowered in what we can do with life. Yes, definitely. Ryan, I know our audience is just going to want to know more about you and and learn more from you. Um, Tell us where they can go to connect with you further. Sure. So the website is thetinylife.com. And basically from there, you can find all of our socials and everything like that. But the website's the main uh, focus for us. We have over 1,500 articles on all different types of topics of simple living, mainly in tiny houses, minimalism, and home setting. There's some lifestyle stuff in there too about goal setting and and kind of how to think about defining what you want your life to be. So yeah, that would be the best place to find me, thetinylife.com. Perfect. Ryan, you are doing this work that's fueled with intention and you're what I like to call a true world shifter. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Ryan is a powerhouse and I love the tips he shared. I've linked Ryan's website and social channels on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend and be sure to leave the podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you tune in and turn it up. I'm back on Friday for another episode of Fuel Your Life Friday. But until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.